Well, good morning, Purpose Church. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be back, at least for a week, uh, to join you. For those that you've been coming and you just started the last year or two, you're like, who's this guy? Who's this beautiful man? And you're welcome to show. I'm just joking. Hey, uh, I am a pastor here, I promise. I just leave the Claremont campus, and it's just a joy um, to be doing that. It's crazy. I mean, 26 years into this now, and I feel like God's finally, it's like all the things have been good. But that thing has just been such a blessing and harder than blazes. But we are having an absolute blast trying to make an impact for the kingdom. So it's good to be back. Uh, We're going to take our offering in just a second. We're going to receive that. Uh, But I want to pray over that and then pray over the message um, before we do that. So let's just prepare our hearts to to receive the offering and then to hear from what what he has to say. Let's pray together. Father, like every time I pray before I speak your word, I pause before I speak to you for you are God and I'm not. I don't want to ask you to do things based upon my limited perspective of what you can do, but I want to say, God, in my silence, I submit and surrender to whatever you want to do in your creativity and in your power and in your sovereign plan. God, I want to be attentive to what it is that you do and what it is that you say. And so, Father, I pray that you take a feeble attempt to try to explain you and your call and your word. It's me, God. I don't, I can't do this in any way that's truly effective without your spirit. And so, Spirit of God, we yield ourselves, whether it's me speaking or it's all of us listening to you to be teachable in order to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. And as we receive the morning offering, Father, we do this not out of duty, God, realizing that you've called us to give, to be generous, and God, we want you to use this for your purposes, that ultimately the name of Jesus would go out, that people would be saved, but also that needs would be met. So God, we thank you for an opportunity to worship you through this, and so God, I thank you that we can give this to you. So take it and multiply it more than we could ever imagine. So God, in this time, we give it to you. We submit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. So they're sitting there talking to each other. They're in church jail. It's not real jail, but it's church jail. And to them, this is the first bout of persecution that they're experiencing. Jesus told them, this is what you will go through. It's going to happen. In fact, do you realize that even the Bible says this? Paul says this, that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. It's going to happen. It's not a warning, it's just, just be prepared, it's going to happen. And then if you think about it, how often do we live our lives in a way that we keep it as safe as possible so we really aren't experiencing that which the Bible says we will experience if we actually live the life that God has called us to live. Just keep it safe, keep it safe. And yet, like we'll look at the people, especially in the book of Acts, we'll look at the early followers of Christ and go, man, how'd they do it? Not even realizing that there's more people who have died for their faith in the last hundred years than all the previous centuries combined since the church started. So it is happening around the world. But these two are just sitting there and, I mean, maybe it's midnight. They're just kind of, they can't sleep. They don't have a bed. But maybe they're just kind of jacked up on adrenaline, but maybe they just got, kind of get into this kind of thoughtful moment. And they look at each other and they go, is it worth it? Like, is it worth all this? And we were sitting here in jail simply because we, we saw God do the miraculous. And then maybe they started talking about what just happened less than maybe 12 hours before. 
Then they started telling the stories and the different perspectives and what they saw as they're walking up to the temple, ready to go in. This was what they would do daily. You look at Acts chapter two, starting verse 42. It says that one of the things that they did as the early believers, they actually met together in the temple courts every day. And it's weird, sometimes we have a hard time to just do it once a week. Every day they would meet in the temple courts and I think it was to worship. They didn't have to sacrifice anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So it's not for that. But on this one, one of these moments, they're going in and Peter and John are walking up and they, along the road, going into the temple, they have the lame and those who are poor and those who couldn't walk and those who couldn't see and they're just begging, the poor of the poor. And they're asking. And so you just hear one, I mean, just voice after voice after voice just begging. But for some reason, Peter and John saw this one guy and they walk up to him and he's not looking at him. And you can tell because they actually said, hey, look at us. And I love the fact that they did that. Why? Because he's human. Isn't it a lot easier to just take out your wallet, somebody asks for something, just drop a buck and be able to walk on, and hopefully within stride, it's like, bam, and just keep going? You don't want to stop because you've got big things to do. There's a Netflix binge to watch. But they stop. Why? Because, friends, no matter what, every human being on the planet has intrinsic value, and here's why. No matter what it is they've done, Every person on the planet has been created in the very image of God. He has knit everyone together in their mama's womb. Therefore, because of their creator, they have intrinsic value. And they should be shown value by those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. If we really believe that. So they stop and they give him value. And they say, hey, look at us. And so he looks and they go, we don't have any money. Can you imagine them sitting there going, then why are we talking? Like, this is like, get out of my way. I need people to give me money. I'm trying to live. He goes, wait, wait, wait. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. And they don't even ask God, do you want us to do this? There's nothing in the passage that actually says, God, do you want us to go say this? They just walk up and they say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And maybe the guy's just kind of like, you're out of your mind until all of a sudden they're picking him up. Like, what the? And as he stands, his legs go strong. Maybe Peter and John, they're getting teary, and they're like, you remember? And then John's like, I know, he just took off running. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Guys, that would be an, inter- <laughs> be an interesting interruption to our worship gathering, wouldn't it? Some person just experienced some healing, comes flying through the doors, is like just screaming their heads off, just praising God. Would we sit there and praise with them, or we would sit there and go, quiet, I can't hear the preacher. Because if it's the second, then we've missed the point. What we should do is join in the celebration. So he's just running like crazy. And then the religious leaders can't stand it. It says, in fact, in chapter four, it says that they were greatly annoyed. Isn't it weird? It didn't help that Peter starts preaching to thousands of people. He'd done it before in chapter three, and you see, or in chapter two, and you see 3,000 souls come to know Christ and to follow Jesus. And here you see that 5,000 men, it didn't talk about the women and children, it just says 5,000 men came to surrender to Christ and follow him. And so they're greatly annoyed. Isn't it weird that the religious are the ones that are annoyed by the movements of God, while the broken are actually excited about it? The ones that have God all figured out, don't you dare get God outside of my box. And they'll try to stop the movement of God all the while while God is taking the broken and they're forgotten. 
and giving them freedom and healing and the religious will miss it or ignore it or stand against it all the while followers of Jesus would, we should be celebrating it. So they're just sitting there going, is he worth it? Is he worth it? We're sitting here in jail. This is all good. Is he worth it? And they say, oh, remember when he first called us? He said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. We're like, I don't even know what that was. I have no clue what that meant. Fishers of men. That sounds like a weird youth group game. I don't know what that means. Uh, we'll do it. And they drop everything. We dropped everything. We took off after him. And you remember right after that? Like those who were epileptics, they came, they were healed. Demon possessed, were freed. Because isn't it amazing that what he called them to is not sit down, listen to some dude that sweats too much. Talk to you about Jesus, but no, no, come, watch what happens. Now, here's the thing. Jesus would go into the synagogues. He would proclaim the kingdom of God. He would teach about the things of God, and then he would bring the, the kingdom of God. Blind are receiving their sight. Deaf are hearing, lame are walking. Paralyzed people are going home able to move. Do you remember Mark 2? For those brought up at church, Mark 2? There's these guys, there's these friends. It's like Jesus is here, he's in that house. We gotta go, Bring, we're bringing our friend. And the friend's like, what are you gonna do? We'll, get, we'll figure it out when we get there. And as you get closer, the house is packed. Now this is Simon's house. And then it's packed, so the friend, maybe he's just laying there in this sheet going, nah guys, we can't get in there, it's too crowded. How many of you guys, how many of you guys are just really thankful that friend of yours that just won't take no for an answer? They'll just keep going. They're really creative outside the box. It's like, oh, we can't get in there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go on the top. Let's go to the roof. Let's dig a hole through the guy's roof. He'll be fine. They're like, that's faith. No, that's irritating. If you own the house, that sucks. You now have a hole in your roof. And they just start digging through it. Can you imagine the friend going, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. The paralyzed guy's going, I don't want to do it. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? You're pretty much stuck. And they start just taking the roof. They dig a hole through the top. And all of a sudden, they just start to lower him through. I used to picture Jesus a little bit annoyed, like, hey, this is my preaching time. Until you get to know Jesus. And I think that as the first piece of the ceiling fell down, he just smiled. And he looked at Peter. That's your house. And Peter's wife's going, I don't like this. Jesus is like, keep digging harder, harder. And then all the friends are looking through. And all of a sudden, they just start to lower him. And as you're that guy going, hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Just put him right in front. Guys, he cut in line. There are other people there that got there first to be healed. And here comes this guy just lowered down. And then Jesus looks at the man and goes, hey, your sins are forgiven. How many of you would sit there and go, who cares? I would. I'm like, uh, that's not why they dropped me here. I want to walk. And Jesus said, oh, I just said that to tick them all off. So you know that I have, I have authority to forgive sins because only God can forgive and so the religious leaders know what he's doing. He's calling himself God. Because I have the authority to forgive sin, why don't you do me a favor? Pick up your mat and just walk. And what happened is it went silent and he, start, he just like this sweet sit up. He's got abs on his back. I mean, he's yoked now. I'm just joking. So then he picks up his mat and he begins to walk and guys, what happens as everyone just watches and can you imagine Peter looking at John while they're in jail going, that was awesome. We had a hole in the ceiling for years. I didn't fix it. I was with you guys for three years, just a bunch of guys blowing it up. Yeah, that was worth it. Is this worth it? Yeah, he's worth it. Guys, how could he be worth it? 
Guys, because it's been less than two, three months. It's where they watched Jesus on a cross and die and have a spear shoved up through his chest cavity into a lung and threw into his heart. They watched him die. They watched him brought down, put into a tomb. But everything changes when you see that same one who died come back from the dead. They witnessed him. They saw him. Is he worth it? Absolutely he's worth it. Guys, this Jesus, do we get who it is that's invited us to know him? Do we get the one who's invited us to follow him? I think we need to change our vernacular. We're not supposed to go get people saved. We're supposed to call people to follow. And with following Jesus comes salvation. I think we've dumbed down the following part of Christ to make it as easy as possible. And yet Jesus says, if you want to be found worthy to be my my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and come follow me. Salvation is the gift that comes to those who say, I want to follow Jesus. It does not come before accepting the invitation to follow. So that one, as he's hanging on the cross, Jesus is dying. How is it that Jesus... You remember the last thing he breathed out? He says, it is finished. It's, the, it's a phrase, it's a banker's term. He says, paid in full. But when he says, it is finished, how could he say it is finished when he hadn't come back from the dead yet? Because the Bible says this. Here's why he could say that. It's all done. Nothing else has to happen. It, it, the Bible says it was impossible for death to hold him down. So Jesus wasn't gonna sit there and go, gosh, what happens after I die? I hope I'm strong enough. I hope I can get past death. He's like, no, no, no. This was the worst part of taking on the wrath of God. That was was the excruciating part. Death, JV, has no hold on me. It is finished. So when all of a sudden you hear him breathe that out and you see him come back from the dead and then he calls us, followers of Jesus, he calls us, go make disciples. And instead of doing it, we argue about what the word go means. In the Greek, what does the word go, what does the word go mean in the Greek? It means go. <laughs> well, can I, can, I, can, I connect, can I just connect that to when people show up? No. It means to go. Well, how often? Actually, the way that it's worded means you keep going. You don't stop. It's constant. It's over and over. Brian, I led someone to Christ like 14 years ago. So you haven't done it since? So you're 14 years in disobedience? Guys, this is harsh. I get it. But I'm only here like once a year, so whatever. Here we go. (laughs) Isn't it weird? He said, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey, and we see it as optional or if we have time. It's the one thing that we really believe this is the necessity of every single person on the planet, and we have other things to do? There's other things to binge on? Jesus, before he went to the cross, is toward the end. It's around John 14. He introduces the concept of the Holy Spirit, the helper coming. And he says, hey, it's good that I go. Why? Because if I go, the helper will come. And when he comes, guys, think about it. When he comes, you will do greater things than you've seen me do. And I'll be honest. I look at that and go, I don't see it in me. God, what am I missing? I mean, dead are coming back from, from, like people are coming back from the dead. Blind people are getting sight, deaf are hearing. 
Like what? I mean, I, I had a great quiet time. I don't think that's greater. I keep sitting there going, okay, so God, what is it? If really the Holy Spirit comes into me and now I can do greater things because of God, I can do greater things than we've seen Jesus do? And we settle for what? Addition. Rather than multiplication. Man, there's a movement of God when Peter preaches his first sermon. The guy that hid from those servant girls and now he's proclaiming boldly before thousands of people and 3,000 come to Christ and the next time 5,000 come to Christ. Because why? Because they had some crusade. No, because they stopped long enough to help a homeless guy. You want to see the movement of God? You want to see the greatness of God? Stop in the ordinary and help and see how God takes that and becomes the miraculous. So they've ticked everybody off. They're sitting in jail. Now the, 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 the guards come in and get them. Bring them before the religious leaders in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, watch it, whom you crucified. Dang. This is Peter calling out the guys that were responsible for the murder of the Messiah. Calling them out. What's the difference? They saw the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit was in them. That was it. That was all it was. Whom you crucified. And then goes on. But, catch it, like you crucified him. Whom God raised from the dead, and by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now watch it, church, this is it. Like if we don't hold to this, guys, we're missing the mission. There is no, I'm sorry, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. It's only Jesus. Brian, are you saying every other world religion out there is wrong? Absolutely yes. Out of arrogance? No. Out of a heartbreaking for a world that so desperately needs Christ. But you can't have these two where one's saying, oh, Jesus is a good guy, and then over here going, he's God Almighty. Oh, you can get to God however you want. There's only one way. How do they play together? Are we treating those two worldviews like little kids on a play date that don't really like each other, but we want them to be friends. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The world needs to hear about Jesus, not just see Christians do nice things, but they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus, and if we're convinced of it, isn't it amazing? We can brag about our kids, we can brag about our grandkids, but we shut up and we get quiet when it's time to brag about Jesus. Why? And I'm with you, why do I clam up? You're not clamming up now, it's easy from the pulpit. Like if a preacher can't get bold behind a pulpit, that preacher should retire. They should resign, because this is easy. God, I don't want to just be bold here. I want to be, be bold in my neighborhood. Because isn't that my mission field? Isn't that your mission field? No, that's where I live. Guys, if where you live is only where you live and you don't see it as your mission field, you have missed the call. I'm not a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary or you're an imposter. Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Every single one of us are on a mission. 
And I guarantee that mission is not to wait for heaven. So you look at this and go, man, that's a bold statement before the people that made sure that Jesus was murdered. And then all of a sudden, verse 13, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. I love that. Uneducated. Woo! Anyone here just feel like you're an idiot? I do. Guys, I'm telling you, you guys have heard this, out of 1,600 when I took SATs, 880. That was my score. Thank you for laughing. That makes it just really feel fantastic. 880. Guys, you get 400 points for your name. Right, nailed it. And I'll make this joke when I'm preaching and my boys have heard it. And so Tyler, my oldest, which if you saw him, he's almost taller than me, which drives me crazy, but I can still take him because of old man's strength. So he's, he writes me this Father's Day card. And he goes, hey, dad, uh, thanks for being my dad. Thanks for teaching me something new every day, even though you're an 880. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. So I walked in saying, God, buddy, thanks for that card. 880, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I said, like, just remember this 880 pays for all your stuff. <laughs> He's like, Sorry. He's like, I believe in sarcasm. That's good. So, guys, 880, uneducated. Oh, praise God. So those that say, I don't know enough, God's like, I know. So what other excuse do you have? I'm not special. Yeah, they were common. They were just common. Not impressive. Uneducated common men. But watch, watch, watch. And they were astonished. This is the best part. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's it. Fathers of Jesus, I'm telling you. We have become the most biblically illiterate, in my opinion, the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church because we rely upon a verse of the day theology that's sent to our inbox. And every one of those verses always tells you how great you are. And then you read Ezekiel. And you realize you can really tick him off. And I'm not that great. It's like diving into the pages of the scriptures. Why? Because we, we want to be good Christians. No, because I want to abide in Jesus. I want to be with him. Brian, I'm so busy. Then turn off Netflix. Turn off the phone. Turn off the screen. Oh, but the only time I got young kids, I had them too. Hang in there. It gets better. Isn't it amazing? All the excuses we'll come up with so that we don't have to hang with Jesus. Can you imagine using those same excuses if you're married with your spouse of why you don't have to spend time with them? Isn't it amazing? Guys, I used to know how to do ministry until I go do Claremont. I'm clueless. And then I'm spending time with God and I'm like, God, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm making more mistakes than ever. I feel like I struggle with more things. And I'm really diving in. I'm like hanging out with you. God, what is it? Why do I feel like I'm failing? And by faith, I heard this. Hey, have you sought me more than ever these last three years? I'm like, I have. I just can't, I can't do this by myself. And for some of you, you'll hear that verse. God will never give you more than you can handle. The only problem is not a verse. It's not even biblical. It's not right. It's a lie. God will never give, wait, think about it. God, who wants us to completely rely upon him, will never give us more than we can handle so we don't have to rely upon him. Where did we come up with that? We came up with that because we want to be comfortable. And we want to play it safe. We, I'm in this with you. 
But when Paul says, man, I was, I was under so much pressure, like I felt like I was gonna die, it was beyond my ability to endure, but I went through this, why? That I might learn not to re- rely upon myself, but on God who raises the dead. Second Corinthians chapter one tears apart that fake verse that we think is so true. God's like, I'm gonna give you more than you can handle, why? Because I want you to rely upon me every moment of every day. And so I'm sitting there going, God, why, why? Have you sought me more than ever? I'm like, absolutely. And he goes, then stop questioning my process. Because maybe the whole point of the struggle or the wilderness is less about feeling like a failure and more about just me seeking after God with everything that I have, completely reliant upon him because I have no other answer. And maybe it's more than just a verse of the day theology, but it's a wrestling match with the limitless one who knows all and yet wants us. Man, you look at this and I go, if there's anything that I would want to be known as, they recognize that he'd been with Jesus. That means, you know what? That degree that I got, however long ago, worthless. No, it's, no, it's worthless compared to this. I'd rather be common and uneducated, known that I'd walked with Jesus than to have every degree on the planet. Guys, it's, do you... Are we known for walking with him? Are we known for abiding in him? Or are we known for making excuses as to why we wouldn't have to? Verse 14, but seeing the man who, had, who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. Isn't it amazing that the religious leaders couldn't deny the miraculous, but they wanted to kill it? Why? Because all of a sudden when God does something outside of our box, we want to kind of kill it because we like to control them so we don't actually have to go into the uncomfortable. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them to, to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And, but Peter and John answered them, I love it, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, you're not listening to him, we are. We're common and uneducated. We hung with Jesus, but you can't hear him. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, isn't it amazing? They just keep threatening them. I didn't, it's like they ignored what was just said and they just keep screaming at do not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't speak in the name of Jesus or else. I don't even think they had to finish the thought because these are the same guys that made sure the Messiah was murdered. It's almost like it's implied. If we could do it to him, we can do it to you. Man. They further threatened them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Wouldn't you? Like, you're released. What do you go do? You got to tell your friends. So you show up. They go, where you guys been? We were in jail. I mean, it was church jail. It was like time out on steroids, but we were there. We got arrested. Why? Because we healed a guy. Like, Jesus used us to heal him. I mean, the guy couldn't walk, and he's, we always picture, we always just picture the the disciples going, we healed someone in the name of the Lord. Guys, I'll be honest, I would not be sitting there going, in the name of the Lord. I'd be sitting there going, what the crud just happened? 
The guy's just running around. This is exactly what happened. And then they threw us in jail. They threatened us. They told us if we speak in the name of Jesus. And then Peter, oh, Peter stepped up. A homeboy just had stuff to say. It was, it wasn't like, it was like he wasn't even him. Peter's like, that was the Holy Spirit. I like him. They go to their friends and tell them everything that happened. Then watch. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign. You know what sovereign is? When you're looking at God, you just spend a night in jail because you love Jesus and you say, God who's in control of everything. God who everything is under your sovereign rule, under your complete control. What they're saying is this was part of your plan. This was it and you're worth it. I don't know about you. When bad things happen, don't you sit there and go, come on, God. Like, why are you letting this happen? And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking the question, but maybe we should start off the prayer with sovereign God to put my mind back into proper perspective. You're sovereign. Guys, you ever gone through something that's absolutely heartbreaking or witnessed something that's just absolutely horrific and you just sit there and go, man, it is so tempting to just look at God and just give him the finger and run this direction. But can you just sit there and go, okay, wait, wait, wait. I want to hold on to this faith that I say I believe in this creed, this relationship with Jesus because he's worth it and just go back as hard as that is. Sovereign Lord. Like you might just have to preach it to yourself. Maybe for this morning, some of you need to walk out. When you get in the car, as hard as it's been, you just cry out, Sovereign Lord. You made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. Go back to his power. Why go back to his power? Because in that time when you need God to change something, don't you need to be reminded that he is able to change it? More than hearing that he loves you but can't do a thing. I need to know he can fix it. So I need to preach the truth, the revealed word of God. I need to preach it to myself in prayer. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To do, now hold on just a sec. Do you know what they just did? They took an Old Testament passage and they applied it to their present circumstances. That's all they did. They took something that was written from long ago. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would be one of his psalms. They take what it is that he says. They're reading. They're going, oh my gosh, this fits today. Isn't that what we do when we spend time with God in the Word? Let me change that. Isn't that what we do if we spend time with God in the Word? Guys, we don't do anything different than the early Christians did. We're looking at how the world is going on. We're looking to the pages of scripture asking God, what do you want? What's your direction? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And all of a sudden it's like, boom, he just opens up the scriptures. You're like, oh my gosh, I see it. But then watch what he says. You get to verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had what? Predestined. And this is where people go, I'm gonna fight that word. This is where the Christians fight. I don't believe in predestination, but the word's right there. I don't believe in it, but it's right there. I don't like it. That doesn't mean it's not true. Can you imagine if you only believed and agreed with the things in the Bible that you actually liked or fit your cultural standard? 
Like this is my, this is how I look, look at things through society. This is my, these are my passions. This is what I want to see happen, change in the world. But all of a sudden God comes along and says, no, but I want it to be like this. I don't get to sit there and go, well, I don't like that part. So let me find a couple things I can throw some questions in there to go, okay, but why didn't Jesus ever say anything about that specific thing? And since he did it, I can do whatever I want. But if Jesus is the one who wrote the whole book, then we go with the whole book. Because guys, we're not that smart to be able to do it on our own. You know what that word predestined means? It means you can do this. Why? Because God's not reacting to anything. He's not freaking out about anything. He is unfolding his plan, and we get to be part of it. Guys, you realize the Bible actually says that all those good works that God wants you to do, he has already prepared in advance for us to do. He's already set it in motion. We're just catching up. I don't have to figure it out. I just follow. That's all I have to do. And honestly, most of it, no one will ever notice. No one will ever know. It's not like the majority of ministry is right here. This is the major ministry. No. I don't think Jesus ever really applauded this part. But he would applaud someone who gave water to someone who was thirsty or visited someone who was in prison or someone who was sick, who gave clothes to the naked and food to the hungry. And that's what Jesus seemed to applaud. Now watch what they say next. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Guys, you see what they asked for? They didn't ask for safety. They didn't bolt. They didn't get out of Dodge. They didn't say, oh God, please keep us safe. Please keep us safe as we find a hiding place. As we find a hiding place and we find a way to you know, present this gospel in a way that people will still like us. And beyond the, guys, here's the, here's the danger for us. God, help us to do it in such a way that they like our church, even if they never might hear about Jesus, do it a certain way. I don't want to say anything's not so bad. So in my neighborhood, I want to make sure that they hear about Jesus first. And what if it's too far? Like, what if you live too far? It's like, I can't get neighbors to drive all the way out here. I'm convinced of this, and I've said it, I've, I believe it, I've said it to the people at Claremont, I've said it in front of a camp, a bunch of youth pastors, guys, if I can't recommend another church that teaches truth and shows love, if I can't recommend that church to another person, then I'm trying to build my own kingdom and not Jesus's. It's about him, it's about him. And people need to hear about him, so they ask for boldness. Why do they ask for boldness? Because they're freaking out. Why else do you ask for Boldness. Because you might be a little afraid that the guys who murdered the Messiah want to make sure that you're dead. So it's like, oh God, give us all boldness to continue to speak your word as you perform signs and wonders. Guys, this came from a quiet time, uh, end of November. I read this part and I was like, God, I don't want to just be bold from behind a pulpit. I want to be boldly gracious and graciously bold when I preach. I guarantee that. Like, I don't want people to feel judged, but I definitely want to make sure that people aren't just sitting there on a cushion. But I don't want to just be bold here. Help me be bold in my neighborhood. Help me, help me. So I was like, God, what can we do? This is the introvert. I like to be by myself. And yet the Great Commission doesn't say, well, unless you're an introvert. I'm supposed to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow, right? So why is it based upon my personality or an Enneagram? Well, I'm not that. I'm not supposed to be that. I'm supposed to deny myself, pick up my cross, follow Jesus, not be obedient based upon my personality. I'm supposed to make disciples. I was like, so we, we, we tried a Memorial Day barbecue. I was like, a block party. 
It's the only block party I've had in Memorial Day weekend where it was like 61 degrees. I was like, thanks, God. That's great. We're all shivering in my front yard, having a barbecue. All the food is cold within like 10 minutes. So the 20 people showed up. And the old dudes invited me to Friday morning breakfast. And they talk about everything, and it's awesome. And then they start asking me questions about church, and I'm like, what? What if we just got bold? Like at some point, I need to just go, guys, I need to share with you something over our omelets. We need to, I need to share something. Guys, I've been praying this prayer since November every day. God, give me all boldness to continue to speak your word, not my faith, your word. Because my faith, I guarantee I'm jacked up somewhere in my faith. But his word is true. Give me all boldness to continue to speak your word as you perform signs and wonders. You do the miraculous, I'm just going to share about Jesus. You know God liked it, why? Because the Bible says that the place where they met praying shook. It's like God's like, I like that prayer. <laughs> Guys, wouldn't you be jacked up? You say amen and are like, yes. He just shook the earth. And what did he do? They had all boldness and they continued to speak the word. God answered the request. So as the worship team comes back up. One story, guys, last time I preached was in December. I kind of mentioned this. That night, I'm going to the grocery store. I have my own little personal experience through the aisles. I put my little headphones in. I just kind of listen to music. I'm just getting my stuff. And when I can't find it, I call Kelly. I hope other husbands do that because I have no clue where this stuff is at. So I'm getting it. I'm walking out. And there's a homeless guy. God, there's never a homeless guy. Never a homeless guy by our, by our grocery store. There's a homeless guy. And I've been praying, God, give me boldness, give me boldness. And as I get to him, I'm like, <laughs> seriously, I thought this. I'd stop, but I have ice cream. So I gave him a couple bucks. I said, hey, he's going to see it. But I got, in my mind, I got to get the ice cream home. I can't have melted ice cream because you have to freeze it again. Okay, so I get to the car and then I just felt it. It's like, didn't you want boldness? I'm like, yeah. Melted ice cream it is. And so I'm like, gear up. And that's why I walk back. I'm like, hey. And I, I said, hey, tell me your story. He just starts telling me his whole story. Just talking about everything. I struggled with opiates for the last seven years and he's addicted and he's homeless. And I'm like, where are you living? He tell me where he's living. And I'm like, are you set up there? Are you good? No, no, I'm good there. I said, isn't it like a, it's like a few blocks or if a block from water life, right? He goes, yes. I said, go there tomorrow. Go there. They want to help. And then it just came out. How about you and Jesus? He goes, well, I used to go to church. I said, I didn't ask that. How about you and Jesus? He goes, what do you mean? And I was like, dang, here it comes. And just bloop. I just started telling him the gospel. I'm like, this stuff works. And all of a sudden he goes, I, I looked and I said, do you want to surrender your life to Christ? He goes, yes. I went, it works. <laughs> like all the church, church growth people say, you can't just preach the gospel today in today's culture. Guys, those are the ones who are too afraid to do it because they're too afraid to go out there and actually do what God said. It's like, oh, just keep being, making it as appealing as possible. Guys, when we go in boldness, proclaiming the gospel, there's going to be people that hate us for it and those that love it. But is Jesus worth it? I looked at it. I was like, you want him? He goes, I want him. I went, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I said, I said dude, I got to ask for your forgiveness. I, I, I was cheap with you, dude. I gave you two bucks. Here's 20. He's like, I, 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 he's still talking to me. He already had my money. And all of a sudden, no joke, I'm from line him now, he goes, can I, ask, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He goes, so what's my purpose? And I went, you get it. I said, it's to know Jesus and to make him known. And the specifics after that, I have no clue. 
but I promise you he's going to show you what yours is. And he goes, dude, can I hug you? I said, you better get up. So me and Rory right outside of Ralph's just bro hugged it up. I walked to my car and I was like, that's it. Church that stopped settling for adding to the kingdom. What would happen if a hundred, what would happen if a thousand of us went out and made a commitment? I'm going to bring Jesus up to a hundred people in some way in a year. Do you realize a hundred thousand people will hear about Jesus, but we're not doing that. We'll rely upon something that hopefully they'll be okay with. And then we can kind of hopefully present the gospel a little bit rather than just being obedient and bold and going out there with the gospel. The gospel changes everything and Jesus is worth it. Or we can play it safe and be completely disobedient to the one thing that he called every single follower of Jesus to do. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? So as I pray this prayer, if he is, stand to your feet. If he's not, just stay there. You say, I'm not there yet. It's totally fine. No judgment. But as I begin to pray this prayer that I've been praying, if you're in agreement, then stand. Let me pray. So, Father, I pray that for those of us who stand, that, God, you would give us all boldness to continue to speak your word as you perform signs and wonders, that, God, you would give us opportunities, that you would show us who you've prepared to hear the gospel, that, God, we would do whatever it takes because we believe in the necessity of Jesus. We believe that there's no salvation without people coming to surrender and following you. That God, I pray you'd forgive us for the times that we just kind of coddle back and we just wait. God, I pray we'd go with grace and boldness. God, for you, because you're worth it. So God, use us. Use us. And I pray that at the end of each day, we put our heads on the pillows and just say, oh God, what a ride. What a ride. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you guys more than you know.